Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. This week on Sound and Vision, a look back, a re-release of the very first podcast with artist Shara Hughes. Shara has Up Now, a mural in Boston, the Rose Kennedy Greenway, an original painting on display at the Cordova Sculpture Park. She has Sun Salutations, a solo show at the Newport Art Museum, and Lore of the Dark, a group show at Mass Mocha. She has an upcoming solo show, Don't Hold Your Breath, at Eva Presenhuber in Zurich, that opens on August 20th, and a solo show at the London Arts Club, which opens September 24th. With all this going on, I wanted to share our talk over two years ago. Here's Shara and I talking at her studio in Greenpoint. Okay. Um, where, where are you from? Well, how did it start? Um, I'm from Atlanta. And the deep south. Deep south. Um, and grew up there and then went to art school at, at RISD mm-hmm. in 2000. Graduated in 2004 in my undergrad. And then I didn't, I didn't do grad school. Was that a, like going from the south to, you know, the northeast? Was that your first stint? In the north, like living, yes. So was it culture shock? Yeah, it was because I was like kind of a hippie uh-huh. and was like you know really into fish and widespread panic and like string cheese incident and had like the hemp necklace and broom skirt. And then when I went when I went to art school, it was like nobody was really like that. So I was like, oh, I thought I thought that was cool, and yeah. it, it didn't. It wasn't. Right. <laughs> they didn't think it was cool. No. <laughs> but it's artsy. Yeah, it's different. It was yeah. different, but I felt like I felt like I was going to fit in, but it, I don't know. And then I quickly got self-conscious. Oh, jeez. You yeah. had to adapt? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what was the adapt? What did you adapt to? I guess I was very quiet through, like, most of RISD yeah. until, like, maybe the last year I started to speak up a little bit. But I feel like I never really was as like outspoken as I am now. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's hard. Like you're just judged the whole time, and you got to find your style, and you got to be you. But if you have no idea what that means, mm-hmm. it, you're just kind of like going in circles. And yeah. like I was like more of someone who kind of like stood back and observed and watched how it all worked, right. and then. Um, at the end, I feel like I finally, I finally kind of figured it out yeah. enough <laughs> to be able to feel like I was um, could make sense out of what I was sort of making. But yeah, it took a long time. Yeah, that's I mean, where I feel you like sort that stuff out, that. right? You know, yeah. you start start the process of figuring things out. Did yeah. you have like a mentor or someone, like a teacher, someone who, or even a fellow student? I mean, did you have people that kind of you felt comfortable with and um, who were believers? I feel like sometimes in school, maybe more so in grad school, because everything gets so specific. Yeah. In undergrad, maybe it's a little freer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like there wasn't necessarily one person specifically. I I remember like certain teachers that were very helpful. Mm-hmm. Like Holly Hughes was awesome. Yeah. She said a couple of things that have always stuck with me. Um, 
But I think one of the big things for me was I got like um, a residency award to go mm-hmm. to Oxbow between junior and senior year. And going there and kind of like starting over yeah. with all these other artists was one of the things that I felt like was super important for me because it was a different kind of confidence. Yeah, It wasn't like, oh, you're this same person that we've been working with for three years in art school. What are you going to do this year? It's sort of like starting over. Yeah. Um, New audience too. Yeah. Like everyone around you isn't familiar with your work or yeah. hasn't seen it developing you know that yeah. was that's the cool thing about Skowhegan too I think is you just show up with a, a bunch of other people who are doing their thing and yeah you know, for sure there's no real lineage I mean you're just there nine weeks it's nine weeks I think right yeah yeah you're just there it happens and then yeah. you're gone you know? yeah and there's like no competition because yeah. everyone's already in so you're just sort of like okay we're here yeah let's hang out let's hang out and see what happens yeah <laughs> and even the the teachers I feel like it's it's not like a tenured thing, you know. They're just there for a summer, so like, yeah. yeah, let's hang out too. Yeah, talk about work. No pressure. Yeah. So whenever you were done in Rhode Island, did you stick around in Rhode Island? Or did you just get out of there mm, right away? I left and went on. I think I moved back to Atlanta, but did a residency quickly after mm-hmm. um, in Vermont, Vermont Studio Center, and then. I kind of did the residency tour for about four years. I was going to say, that's you hit them. Yeah. <laughs> you went through. I did a, a lot few. of them. Yeah. Um, was it different each time as far as what it meant to your work? Or did it just give you a chance to do what you were doing? I think it just gave me a chance to make a lot of work. Yeah. And um, the first residency I went to outside of the Vermont Studio Center outside of school was... Um, where I met a friend who kind of got me involved with Rivington Arms. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of started showing in New York around the same time as when I left RISD. Mm -hmm. And at the same time was going to all these residencies and meeting new people. So it gave me a chance to save money because I wasn't spending anything, make a lot of work, meet people, and still could do this exhibition thing. Yeah. Um, So, and figure out how that works. Right. so I kind of got lucky on that first residency with meeting this one girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I think so, yeah, back to was it helpful for my work? I think it was because I had the time um, and I didn't have to worry about jobs or anything because I'd always just go back to my parents in Atlanta in between. Yeah. Um, and I think it also, so I think it the focus that I had really increased. Yeah. Um, there was like no distractions because I just kept moving around from place to place making work. Which is like the secret of being able to make work, right? Creating yeah. a condition where you can pretend like the real world doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which is like the, the golden time. That's why everyone, when they get out of school and they think back, they wax poetic about how great school was because, oh, wait, I had this time where I could just sit in a box. Yeah. And ignore the real world and just make work and residencies are really good for that too because yeah. they're kind of like the chance to get back to do doing that for a little bit yeah and you don't even have to think about what you're going to eat that day because you just have to be at lunch and you yeah. show up <laughs> i blew it i did mine right after grad school I, well i guess i could maybe try to get in a few yeah <laughs> <laughs> those are like good you know when i was at skowhegan i i remember a few of the artists who were at that point, I thought, wow, these people are a little bit older. Yeah, yeah. Now, now they don't seem that old. Yeah. <laughs> then I was like, I wonder, 
you know, and now looking back, it must have been so nice because if, you know, the people who used to tell you, don't go right into grad school, don't go right into a residency, go out and live in the real world. Yeah. And that's just like to understand how shitty it is. And yeah. then, you know, <laughs> you'll figure it out. Yeah, like yeah. it's pretty shitty. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, and then you'll go back to heaven for a little while and just, they'll feed you and you make work in the woods or whatever. Yeah. Which is a total, you know, advantage. Yeah. So when you moved to the to New York, you had a pretty good network, or you were meeting a bunch of people, and yeah. So when I moved to New York in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. I believe, um, I I had only lived here for like eight months, so it wasn't even a full year. Yeah. Um, I was in sort of a network, but at the same time, like a lot of the people my age weren't really showing that much. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't know many people older, and I didn't know really how to like get out and network yeah. that much. Um, so, I didn't, I don't think I was ready for it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Facebook wasn't even much of a thing then, so there wasn't that extra like network of reaching out just at home. The social media yeah. connection, yeah. yeah. Like you had to actually go to the events to then reach out that way like in person yeah which is harder than it is now because you can just be like hey i'm gonna let's do studio visits on uh you know in instagram or facebook yeah and you don't have to know them you don't have to like speak to them in person until they come to your studio right right um so i feel like it was a different it was different then um or at least i didn't know how to play it that way mm-hmm. so um i left after eight months and well, I had an opportunity to go to Denmark and live there for a little bit um, and make work for a show. So I kind of just moved out of New York. Was um, that a gallery show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what year was that? That was 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Denmark's amazing. Yeah. It's really nice. So nice. Yeah. So, yeah, so that gallery um, was like, it's, you know, would you like to, we have this summer house at the very north of Denmark. Oh, yeah, I think I know you know it Michael Anderson yeah yeah yes awesome yeah I met him whenever I spoke to the Royal Academy there I did a a visiting artist gig and I I met him there oh cool yeah super nice yeah you know as soon did you get to go to his house yeah yeah it's nice yeah (laughs) so I worked in his at the studio house for two summers nice um and they were like it's basically cheaper for us to fly you here to make the work than fly the work the work and I was like that's fine (laughs) right I would love to live on in a summer house all summer you know when you get to the airport that that place has got it right I mean this design and beauty of it's crazy you know and then you fly back to JFK and you're like oh (laughs) why am I (laughs) I know I know why do I live here (laughs) yeah it's it's it I was like I in my mind I was like oh I'm living in like an anthropology catalog yeah that's you know in everyone gets so much time off they have to take six weeks off so that's why everyone has these summer homes so everyone is up back and forth um from copenhagen to like the north of denmark to live in their like beautiful cottage they they figured it out (laughs) i know i remember at the school you know how sometimes in when you're in art school or whatever school you're in there's a little area with like a microwave from 1972 that has like it's microwaved 40,000 microwavable popcorns and has yeah. that smell. And then there's yeah. a coffee maker that's like Mr. Coffee from 19... 19- it's like they sticky. Had like, <laughs> they had in their school like an espresso machine. It was just like yeah. one of those huge... Yeah. 
they figured it out. Very clean. Huge studios. Like, like yeah. it was yeah, conducive yeah. for making feels good. Feels yeah. feels like clean and I don't, I don't know. Um yeah, so that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and then they invited me back the second year to do make work for a show at their space in Berlin. So, um I I used that as an excuse to move out of New York. Right. Um and then once I got back from those things, I ended up finding a studio in Atlanta that was huge mm-hmm. and cheap. And so I just ended up staying there for about five years Yeah, until I moved here two years ago. So you you had a lot of time to, to build up work and to, you know, yeah. come to terms with what you did after school yeah. in a kind of conducive environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was important important for me to be able to figure I mean it it takes a lifetime to figure something out so we like never figure it out yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the you feel like you're just getting closer to yeah figuring it out. that's what keeps you busy but also is like endlessly frustrating yeah <laughs> um but I think that that the time of just making and making and making was important for me. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough at the time to be able to have opportunities to show mm-hmm. and for it to kind of keep me going for a little bit so that I didn't have to have like a nine to five or right. um, even a part time for, for a lot of years. Um, and you're traveling and experiencing. I mean, I talked yeah. to a, a lot of artists about that. How does travel affect your work or does it affect your work and you know all the things you see and working in different environments I mean in the past I think I had a long time in Brooklyn where I was just working in my studio every day and then I started traveling more yeah and now I'm a little more nomadic about my studio like I work you know in between places and I really like you know travels entered my work literally like where I go I take photos and it's it's a big part of it but yeah, yeah. did it have an effect on you working in these different spaces um i mean i don't think like the outside world really did mm-hmm. um i think that the process of being in a different space physically um was helpful just for like clearing out some other junk that i had just left yeah. at other places but I feel like whenever I get in my studio, I'm pretty much like in my own world anyways. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe like light would affect the work. Yeah. But um, I'm a lot of the work comes from like personal things that I'm dealing with, like in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, now I'm making these landscapes and I'm living in New York City. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Is it's. That- it's not really a rejection. It just kind of happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I think it has something more to do with like a psychological space yeah. that I'm in um, than it does like the outside world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you've, there's figurative elements in, you know, some of your paintings and then yeah. landscape or interior. I mean, there's all, it, it seems to be, maybe not literally about our world but these worlds that are yeah. reflecting our world you know yeah so do you float in and out of the figure and you're interested in the figure yeah definitely um i feel like even the landscapes now are portraits you mm-hmm. know they're they're set up in a portrait um you know they're not in the landscape um uh orientation but i also see them as interiors and i feel like they're about like an inner world or mm-hmm. like 
how I see things um, that relate to my life inwardly and outwardly. Yeah. So um, I think that even even like trees are figures in the work. So mm-hmm. I I think that's always been something. An absence of figure is important too. Yeah. Um, because then the viewer becomes the figure, and right. like you're the experiencing way, the landscape. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of reasons why I put the borders. Um, or like a, an entryway makes the viewer feel like they're in it mm-hmm. so that there is like an actual figure but you're experiencing it as that person yeah. you know I, I, the work that I was, I'm working on now for a show which is all this kind of orientation which is you know the f- portraiture mm-hmm. orientation but small work yeah. uh, I didn't realize it until you know reflecting on the work and making a bunch of it that I think a lot of it has to do with traveling and then taking photos with an iPhone where it that aspect ratio is yeah you know I mean you can tilt your phone but if you're going quickly like it's it's I feel like technology you know technology my work has been influenced by that and affected by that as I think all of us have in one way or another whether it's a rejection of it or whether it's the way we process information or yeah but thinking about how that ratio of looking might be changed by the way people default to taking photos or seeing the world through these cameras. You yeah. Know? I mean, I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. Like I've, I was in a conversation with my friend last night and she's doing the same. They're mm-hmm. all vertical. And she was like, it's so hard to do something horizontal. And I was like, I can't do it. Like, I don't want to do it either. It doesn't make sense for the work, but it's, it's, I wonder if that has a lot to do with it. Unconsciously, it might. I mean, yeah. I didn't even realize it until... So I'm taking all these photos in Japan and using those as a reference. And then I make a painting and then I go to take a picture of it to send to someone and it mm-hmm. fits perfectly in my yeah. iPhone. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like that size. And I'm changing the photograph. It's yeah. not like I'm just using a photo. I tweak them and play yeah, with it. Yeah. But I hold it up and it's the same <laughs> ratio. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's like that's the light bulb obvious. moment. You know? yeah. Like, yeah, that's kind of iPhone-y in a way. Yeah. But I don't take photos with... You know, I used to have a Canon, like a bigger camera, but now so much of like what I'm seeing, we have this obsession with this being speedy and our ability to capture an image or a moment. Yeah. Yeah. The iPhone does it or whatever phone you have, but you know, your phone, which you could just whip out real quick and take that photo becomes such an important part, I think, of how we experience yeah. The world for good or for bad. I mean, it is what it is. Totally. I mean, I even I like taking photos of the work in my studio and then looking at it on my phone because it gives you a different distance. Yeah. And like I can solve problems that way. Um, I don't like to lean on it, but I feel like there is something else that has to do with that kind of distance. Yeah. Well, I think in your your stuff is so far from. Being like, I wouldn't even think. Oh, she's just using a photo and tweaking it. It oh, feels yeah. very inventive and yeah. You know, no, I'm not looking. At yeah, photos. <laughs> yeah, I think I ride that danger zone a little, more, <laughs> a little, a little more explicitly than you know. I've heard some critics in the past say that photo. You know, everyone's heard the photography is like the death of painting and yeah. I think it could be, but it can also be really interesting. It depends on how you use it. I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean. I feel like David Hockney talked about that for a lot a while. Yeah, um, kind of changed the game a little bit. But I remember in school, like it was like, no, you you should never look at a photograph to make paintings. It was like well, yeah. a really big deal. It's that, and never use black. 
Yeah. I'm not allowed. Yeah. For a long time, I just thought, I looked at a black tube of paint, it just sat there full, and I was like, no, can't use it. Then <laughs> <laughs> a certain point, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I can use this. I can, I, can, I can use this. Is it really? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, it's it's funny, like what you're taught, and like how that comes into play later on, and thinking about you know all the the a younger generation of artists who won't know what it's like to not filter images through. Yeah. Technology. It's crazy. Like a lot of the. I mean, like we were talking about this the other day. Um, just the like we sit around here with books in our studio and yeah. I keep them open on the ground and like I'll subconsciously look at them while I'm painting while I'm painting but now kids are just like Instagramming and like next 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 and it's in their mind for a second and then it's gone yeah whereas like holding a tangible thing and kind of like leaving it around mm-hmm. while you're making stuff is is what we grew up doing yeah um and then like going to young kids studios I'm like where are the books they don't yeah. Not so into it. Yeah. Well, Rembrandt's not Instagramming. Like, what is it? You know, how are you going to see what he's making? <laughs> With all these books, this is what you'll get. The books are so heavy. <laughs> and, like, I forget to return. Yeah, I remember when I was in undergraduate school, my uh, studio mate, Gerald Davis, he's a painter. Yeah. You know, he would have, I'd walk in and, like, it felt like every day there was a different 10 books. Yeah. Like, there would be a Turner day where there's just all these Turner books. And, yeah. You know, and I kind of learned, I think, unconsciously, like, oh, yeah, I should be keeping these around and thinking it's almost like you just you know that idea of like you're reading a book and you can't really get, you're you're having a hard time focusing on it and you stick yeah. it under your pillow yeah and yeah osmosis like <laughs> yeah. infinite jest will just rise into your brain God, well it's kind of like awesome. having all these books around your studio and you're just looking you're not like yeah. mining it necessarily for oh, i'm going to use that quarter of the page but you're just hoping yeah and looking yeah. and those things come out and that's what happens when you go to museums and you're going to other galleries you're just kind of looking but all that visual information just goes in there and it's yeah. it kind of builds your lexicon of like things that you've seen or ideas and yeah you know. and I mean I think Instagram's a great tool for, for that but at the same time it's hard you know it's a promotional tool yeah at the end of the day too um, I mean, you can curate your own page, which is inter- interesting, but like for actual studio use, uh, mm-hmm. it's a little trickier. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it feels, for me, it feels better to have books around. And like, I'll Google a lot of things and keep them up on my computer. Mm-hmm. But um, especially if I don't have like, you know, I want to see like monks, like late paintings, and I don't have that book or something. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know. There, there's something that I really love about having them around and just like putting them out on the ground or just like looking at the names and being like, oh yeah, I remember that one painting. Maybe I don't even open up the book, yeah. but it pops in my head and then I can like go from there, yeah. from like a memory or something. And it, they're physical objects and I feel like that's what we deal with. You know, we're yeah. being in the studio is such a physical activity. Yeah. You know, um, we, I was just listening to uh, William O'Brien talk about oh, his cool. studio practice and talking about how like athletic, like he sees it kind of like sports or athletics uh-huh. <laughs> and that he does like two hours of yoga before he goes to the studio. Oh, awesome. And which is amazing. But he's talking about how, you know, being in a studio is physical Yeah. and your body, it's, it's very much like sports in a way or like, yeah. you know, being active and you're stretching. Like when you're looking at books and when you're, you know, working through supplies and stuff. You, it's kind of like your your gym or your yeah. fitness. Yeah, you know? totally. And it's like something that you have to keep 
keep up. I know every time I'm away from the the act of being in the studio for a little while, if I'm traveling or something, you do feel that that same rust. Like if you haven't played a sport for yeah. a couple of weeks, and you're yeah. like, oh, I got to get back in there and and do it. Can you talk about these small pieces in relation to the bigger ones and the different approach you take or how it's different or if it's the same? Yeah. Um, so the small paintings are all actually pretty much the same size or smaller than the drawings I make, mm-hmm. but they're totally different. Um I feel like the small ones are way harder to make and they take way longer to make than the bigger ones. Um, Probably because of the sheer surface area. Um, And then, like, I'm using the same kind of tools that I am with the larger ones, but they take up more space. So, you know, one mark on a large canvas takes up the whole surface of the smaller ones. Um... So it's harder for me to figure out how to resolve them. So in these ones, I'm noticing a lot of suns and moons, too. Is that something that... Can you talk about, like, your influence and, like, what you look at as inspiration? I'm sure it's everything, but maybe... Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the suns and moons thing, I think, in a lot of, a lot of ways, it um, gives a reference for it being a landscape. Like, a, these are obviously landscapes, I think, because um, there's a horizon and some kind of a tree in each one. Um, but sometimes like the moon and the sun kind of anchors it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives it like a very long distance. Um, whereas sometimes it could feel up close. You could be looking at something really, really tiny, but if there's like a moon in it or a sun, it means like it's, it's larger. Yeah. Are you a fan of Japanese prints? Yeah. Cause there's a, a lot of times a, a kind of, you know, a moon or a sun weight to those images yeah, and they're kind definitely. of flatten out, but there's that, and they're usually full, you know, it's yeah. such a kind of graphic element, like this circle, this hole in the, yeah. the image, but it's something that's, it means so much to the picture, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely has like a different weight and yeah. like, even like where it is in relationship to the horizon, like if it's really close to the horizon, it feel, the painting feels different. Yeah. It feels like heavier whereas like if it's higher it feels lighter yeah um so i i like that tool for sure um but yeah as far as people that i look at i'm, I'm looking at like you know um marsden hartley milton avery forrest bess um and then at the same time i'm looking at like elizabeth murray mm-hmm. and like alice neal um you know, it, it's a wide range of people all the time. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times it's like I'm looking for someone for color, and sometimes it's like I'm looking at someone else for like little pockets of information or yeah. or construction. Um, Paint strokes, just the different yeah. ways people are like making marks and yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think my paintings are very much like. A collage of a lot of different people mm-hmm. that's kind of melted its way into my own style. Um, it, the painting started out more literally as like a collage of a lot of different people back when I was in school. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like that got kind of cheesy and mm-hmm. easy. Um, but uh, and and now it just kind of turned into what I do. But it it is a lot of, of me looking at other people and reacting to it, although it doesn't look exactly like 
you know, I'm looking at like a Caravaggio or something. Right. But like, that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like recently, maybe I'm totally wrong, but um, more recent work has this this different kind of deep space, but it's flattened out too at the same time. Yeah. But there's like more room to breathe maybe in these yeah. landscapes that yeah. in the past were, I don't know, it was a fracturing of the picture and things were busier and they felt like they were coming forward at you. Yeah. Whereas these have, you know, they do still come forward, but there's this, there's also this like air in it. Where yeah. There's, I feel like there's definitely more breathing room around each object, whereas before it felt more like puzzly. Yeah. You know, um, which I don't think was bad either, but I just, it, it feels like it's more, it's, it's freer and it's more expansive now. Yeah. Do you work one at a time or do you work on a bunch at once? The small ones are like all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they are like rarely finished, but, um, the large ones is more like one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I always get this thing where I feel like if I work on more than one, the palettes are going to merge or I'm just uh, yeah, going to be like, Oh, <laughs> there's some paint. I'll just use that for that too. And they'll yeah. start to look similar. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm lazy in that way where I'm not going to like have separate palettes for separate paintings. Yeah. So if it's on the same palette and I'm doing two paintings, it's going to probably be similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not to geek out on materials, but what's your, I mean, what's your primary or like what's your material situation like oil paint um, acrylic or yeah like oils acrylics enamel spray paint and use airbrush um flash paint uh i use a lot of like rnf sticks mm-hmm. um uh so pretty much like a caulking um I, I i use a lot of different materials but like in the right technical way so yeah. they're not going to fall off in two years um but I'm now I'm preparing the surfaces really different yeah. in each area so that it does get some kind of a bigger push and pull with the air and the distance between like characters. Yeah. You don't want that phone call two years later? <laughs> part of the painting fell off. Can, yeah. you, can you come over uh, and fix it for me? <laughs> I've had that phone call once. Yeah, those are not good phone calls. No, I learned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> then you have to make a little visit. I had a one, I, I use an X-Acto a lot and I yeah. cut in the tape and I had someone who had a painting of mine and it was like, there's a hole in the painting. I just noticed it. You got to fly out here. It was in oh Chicago God. and fix this hole. Sew it up. And then I said, well, it, that's a flight. Can you just take a picture of it? And he sent a picture and it was just like, it was thick paint and it's where yeah. the X-Acto just cut. It wasn't a hole in the canvas or anything, oh. but... You know, you don't like, those aren't good phone calls. Then. No. Go archival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the last thing that I wanted to touch on was music. Like, yeah. what is coming from Georgia and the South? Has yeah. that had an influence at all? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like, I listen to a lot of country. Yeah. Um, like, you know, hot hits country at, at the same time as old country. Parental influence? Um, yeah. Yeah. My dad loved like Jim Croce. Yeah. Um, we have a tree farm in South Georgia that uh-huh. um, we grew up going to. And I remember my dad would always play like his old tapes down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a record player, but he was always like winding these tapes up with pencils and like playing those instead. <laughs> <laughs> you cassettes, right? Yeah, cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> remember those? Um, uh, and then, so I think there's a lot of that influence. Um, and then, um, yeah, I listen to pop music and I'll, I'll listen to like 
as far as it goes to like old 90s stuff that I grew up on or like um Metallica I mean there's a wide range it, yeah. it depends on my mood um a lot of times but uh or I'll listen to like a Spotify radio station yeah um and then sometimes like you know click on like to certain ones that'll go into my song mm -hmm. bank and then just kind of do like a um a shuffle on that it's so easy to curate these days isn't it, it? is <laughs> <laughs> just hit like and you got a whole new playlist yeah it wasn't so easy back in the day no I well you had to make the, the consecutive we could do the mixtapes yeah remember but you had to like listen to it in the order yeah because, like yeah. an album yeah you didn't want to rewind and like fast forward through yeah. things. that meant that was a commitment yeah yeah, you just. There's something so nice about that too. Like yeah. it's like listening to the full record all the way through. Yeah, and you really curated when you made a mixtape. You yeah. thought about it. Yeah. And you know you tried to time it so the flip of the tape wouldn't be in between songs. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're recording from the radio. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> so, but in the studio, you're you're a music while you work, or you're yeah. a silence person. No music all the time. Um, I've I've got into the habit of watching um, the voice in American Idol. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's interesting to me because like um, there's I've been thinking about that a lot recently. There's something about it that I really enjoy, like watching these people like form their own selves, mm -hmm. and I think that has some kind of connection to art. Um, I mean, they you know they're artists as well, but like having them have coaches, watching them have coaches and like getting their feedback and how they're, they're kind of helping them find themselves and then their performances and how emotional it is. There's something that I really like about having that in the studio as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like it's a little bit silly, but like I, for some reason this past year I've gotten really into it. Yeah. Um, however, it does take away from like me actually making work because uh, I'll just yeah, like look at it and then I'll be like, you know, oh, tearing up a little bit and then I'll be like <laughs> I should probably like make my own work today <laughs> well you never get to see that play out like it's it's a parallel to the way we develop yeah but you don't see it play I mean they tried it one season on TV an art oh, yeah. show and that <laughs> doesn't work so well no some things are better played out in, in different arenas and I yeah. don't think that was a uh you know, here's a bucket full of garbage. Make art by tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't good. I wonder why. No. I, I couldn't figure out why, but. <laughs> it just, it was like, they're giving you rules that you are not supposed to have rules with. Yeah. You know. It goes against everything you you do as an artist. Like create your yeah. vision and think about your material and work over time and all that stuff. And yeah. When they try to squeeze it into the that formula, it just no. didn't work. Which may be a great statement about why art is needed and why it's different than everything else. That's true. Thank you, work of art. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time out to talk. Yeah, of course. It's great to chat. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more information about my artwork at paintchanger.com or on Instagram at Alfred Studio. And you can check out more information about my work also at my gallery, Miles McHenry Gallery. Thanks for Michael Lovett for creating the introduction to the podcast, for Lullatone for supplying the intro and outro music. 
and for Logan Takahashi for also giving music to the podcast. You can find additional pictures of the artist studios and the artist work that I'm talking to on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com under the images section. We have sold out of the Dream Street custom t-shirts that were made for our 100th episode celebration. Those are sold out, but you can still get tote bags, stickers, and pins, and those are all available online. And you can donate to the podcast by going onto the website and clicking on the Donate tab to help support Sound and Vision. Another great way to support the podcast is to go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review for the podcast. It really helps. It helps bring interest in other people's attention to the podcast. And if you could just tell a friend who might be into hearing these artists speak and share it with someone else, that would be amazing. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Manufacturing in upstate New York, Golden Acrylics, Williamsburg Oils, and most recently, Core Watercolors. An employee-owned company committed to producing the highest quality materials while maintaining a culture of stewardship and community involvement. You can try their acrylics, oils, and water media. It's all top of the line. And for more information about Golden Artist Colors, call them at 1-800-959-6543 or visit goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also brought to you by Charter Coffee House. Charter is on Graham Avenue in East Williamsburg, just one block from the Graham L stop. They serve great coffee, pastries, donuts, and more. Not only do I enjoy their fresh-brewed coffee at the store, I also get my beans for home from Charter. They carry and brew Middle State Coffee, a great roaster out of Denver, and they're currently working with them on a custom blend made specifically for Charter. Find out more at www.chartercoffee.com and follow them on Instagram at charter underscore BK.